Well, welcome. We are in week two of our pastor series. So kind of what that means is um, pastors from different part of the team each take a week and speak. Um, if you do not know me, my name is Amanda. Me and my husband are the student pastors um, at 6th through 12th grade. We'd love to have your kids on Wednesday if you don't come. Um, but last week, you guys got to hear from Pastor Austin. He is the children's pastor, him and Brianna. Yes, he killed it. Give it up for him again. Um, and last week, he kind of talked about why, Peter. The whole, this whole series, we have why, and then we all are adding something to it. He talked about why, Peter. You know, Peter had all of these flaws, all of these shortcomings. He kept messing up, but yet God still chose to use him. And today, I'm going to follow right along in his footsteps. It's so cool when Holy Spirit just works it out. Um, because today, I want to look a little more inwardly. And my question is, why not you? Why not you? So we looked at why, why Peter, all throughout the Bible, we can see different people um, and see reasons of why God shouldn't have used them, why they were not equipped to do the job they were called to do, why they were in- inadequate, why they shouldn't have done it. But yet we find time and time again that God still chooses to use them again. God still chooses to use these people. So why not you? Why not you be the one who steps out and begins to make a change for your family, begin to make a change for this generation? Why not you? Or why are you not the one that can't do that as well? Why not you? So today, really, that's my whole message, obviously. But I just want to talk about doing something bigger than just yourself, doing something bigger than just for you. We're not just living this life just for ourselves. We're living for something bigger. I hope you guys have seen that in your life, not just for Um, yourself, but for your families, for their families, for this next generation. Um, And today I want to look in the Old Testament. We're going to be in 1 Samuel. But I want to look at the life of Hannah. Um, You guys don't get a lot of female speakers, so I had to talk about a female. You're welcome, ladies. Um, Sorry, men. Um, This is not a... It's, this message goes for male and female, so don't tune me out. Um, But I do want to look at Hannah. Um, And if you guys want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to jump right in. This is 1 Samuel verse... We're in chapter 1, and this is verse 10. I'm in the message version. Um, So it says, The priest Eli was on duty at the entrance to God's temple in the customary seat. Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. Then she made a vow. Oh, God of the angel armies, if you'll take a good, hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I will give him completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. I love the version. This is the message version. That unreservedly, no hesitation, no holding back, no matter what, God, I am going to be all in. I'm willing to dedicate my son to live a life for you. If you'll just give me this, this one thing that I'm praying for, if you'll just give me this son, I will give him to you. Hannah is desperate. She is willing to do anything to have a child. How many has had a prayer like that? No matter what it takes, you're willing to do whatever. If God will just come through right here, if God will just come through, maybe it is for a child. Maybe it's a sickness that you've been praying for healing over. Whatever it is, I think the important thing is when we're desperate like this, when we're praying and wanting something like this, our prayers become sacrificial. We are willing to sacrifice anything. We're willing to do whatever it takes to have that prayer come to pass. We are ready to put in the work. We're ready to get uncomfortable. We're ready to be inconvenienced. Whatever God wants you to do, you're willing to do it. But the thing is, a lot of times we're ready to sacrifice when we're desperate. We're ready to sacrifice. We're ready to do all the work when we're desperate. 
But then God comes through, the miracle happens, and then we kind of start to try to wiggle our way out of it, and then we start reasoning with God. Well, he probably didn't want me to do all of this, maybe just this one little thing. He didn't need me to do everything I prayed and said I would do. Maybe I can do this one little thing. And we begin to negotiate. We begin to step back on what we are willing to sacrifice. Um, but let's look at Hannah and see if she's the same way, see if she's like us. Um, so basically what happens, I'm not going to go through all the scripture because we'd be here all day. Um, but basically what happens, Eli is a prophet. He's in the temple um, and he sees Hannah and he actually thinks that she is drunk. She is crying unconsolably. She's kind of, she's praying, but he thinks that she's just talking to herself. Um, and he says that she's drunk and she says, no, she's like, I'm just a brokenhearted woman. I'm just praying for this child. I'm praying for this. I'm desperate. I'm seeking God out. So then Eli prays for her. And then verse 20 says, Before the year was out, Hannah had conceived and giving birth to a son. She named him Samuel, explaining, I asked God for him. I love biblical names because they just keep it very simple. I asked God for him, so he's Samuel. That's, that's why I named him that. But God came through. But now it's time to see if Hannah's going to stick with her end of the deal. How often do we make these deals with God? If I can just get this job, then I'll start tithing. Then I'll start doing that. If, if you'll just send someone to come pray for me, give me a word, give me a sign, then I'll step out and do what I know you've already called me to do. Um, we begin just praying. I know for me, um, anytime I'm pregnant, I'll always just pray that whole nine months. I'm just praying for my child. I have all these big expectations, all these big dreams, all these things that I want to see come to pass. And then the child gets here, the thing that you're praying for gets here, and all those expectations and intentions don't mean anything if we don't begin to put action with it. And we, we have all these expectations. We have all these things we want to do. But there comes a point where we have to start taking action. We have to start doing the things that we want to see different. But far too often, once God moves, all those things that we want to sacrifice, all those things that we know we need to do, become too inconvenient for us. They become a little too uncomfortable, a little too different to what we're used to. And we begin to step back and not fully embrace what God has for us. So let's keep reading and look at Hannah. So this is verse 21. So she's had her son, and then it says, When Elkaniah, and that is her husband, um, next took his family on their annual trip to Shiloh to worship God, offering sacrifices and keeping his vow, Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, After the child is weaned, I'll bring him myself and present him before God. That's where I'll, he'll stay for good. Okay, let's see. Elkaniah said to his wife, do what you think is best. Stay home until you've weaned him. Yes, let God complete what he has begun. So she did. She stayed home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Then she took him up to Shiloh, bringing also the makings of a generous sacrificial meal, a prize bull, flour, and wine. The child was so young to be sent off. So basically what is happening here, she follows her into the deal. Um, once um, Samuel is weaned, she's willing to take him up. And basically what is about to happen is she is going to leave Samuel, her son, with Eli. So basically um, around this time, you, we don't get an exact age for what Samuel was, but typically a child would be weaned around three to five years of age. Um, I can't imagine sending a child that young to live with basically a stranger. Even if you wanted to, like, give him a few extra years and say he was seven, that is a very young age to go and just leave your child. Um, and Eli was basically a stranger to him, but she was happy. She was willing to do this because God had, she had made a promise to God, 
and God followed through. So she trusted him because he was already faithful. She trusted him to be faithful again. She trusted him that Samuel was going to be taken care of, that he was going to live a life dedicated to God. He has um, a whole, two whole books in, in the Bible about him. So obviously God came through with his end of the deal and Samuel did lots of great things. But because of Hannah's faithfulness, because of her willingness to, to stay committed to God, to keep her end of the deal, Samuel was able to experience that. Um, if we keep going, verse 25, it says, They first butchered the bull, then brought the child to Eli. Hannah said, Excuse me, sir, would you believe that I'm the very woman who was standing before you at this very spot, praying to God? I prayed for this child, and God gave me what I asked for. And now I have dedicated him to God. He's dedicated to God for life. Then and there, they worshiped God. Here we are with Hannah. She's a mother. She, this is her first child. She has prayed for this child. We've already seen she's been desperate for this child. And now she's about to leave him with the stranger, with Eli. Um, instead of being bitter, instead of trying to figure out how she can get out of it, instead of negotiating a bargain, she knows what she was supposed to do, and she worshiped God for it. She said, here is what I've been called to do. Here's what I promised and said that I would do. And then and there she worshiped. That's my first feeling. It's hard does not equal bad. Hard does not equal bad. We know, San, I, I can't imagine Hannah not loving her son. She had to have so much love for her son. She was so desperate for him. She was so desperate for this child. So the love that she had for her son is immeasurable. She didn't want to leave him, but she had made a promise. She had made a vow, and she was joyful to follow through with that vow. And it says she, pray, she praised him. She worshiped God. She honored him for what he had done in her life. We could have, you, we, it's easy to focus on the hard things in our life. She could have focused on why she didn't want to do this. We could have a whole passage of why she mourned and was sorrowful and complained and did all these things. But that's not what Hannah did. She worshiped God. Just because something is hard, just because something isn't what we want to do, that doesn't make it bad. I stole this verse. Um, there's a new book coming out from a Christian author that I enjoy. Um, I think her first book was Risen Motherhood. It's a Christian parenting book. Um, but her second book is Hard is Not the Same as Bad. And I think so often in our society we have this stigma that if something is hard, there is no way that it's good. If something is hard, if something is a little uncomfortable, there's no way that's God's will for our lives. And we begin to label things without seeking God out and seeing what he wants for us. Um, but unfortunately, this is not the case. A lot of times we have to go through some hard things. We have to face some hard things to get to the good things that God has for us. And I think this is a lie that hard things are bad. It's an enemy. The enemy has been planning and planning over and over again. If he can get us to quit every time something gets hard, we're going to miss out on what God has for us. If he can get us to push back every time we get a little uncomfortable, we're going to miss out on some of the best things that God has for our lives. The best is yet to come. That is a phrase. I love this phrase. I live by it. If I've prayed for you up here, I have probably spoken that over you. And I fully believe that. The best is yet to come. I believe that for my life. I believe that for you guys. But I think to get to that best, to get to the best thing that God has for us, it's going to take some hard work. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take getting uncomfortable to get to that. I think just going through life, going through the motions, just kind of getting, living day by day, that's not how we get to the goodness of God. That's not how we get to the good things that he has planned for us. It takes dedication. It takes sacrifice. It takes a willingness to step out and be uncomfortable. I want to encourage you today to leave a legacy. 
Leave, leave a good legacy, because either way, we're leaving something behind for those. So are we going to leave a good legacy, or are we just going to kind of go through the motions and leave everything in chaos? I think deep down, we all want to do something bigger than ourselves. We all want to make a difference. We want to make an impact. And I think the most important place for us to start doing that is within our own families. Maybe for you, it's just overcoming those obstacles that you keep facing, that you know you need to overcome, but you just keep getting uncomfortable. You keep not wanting to do these things, and you just keep in this cycle of just not getting out of it. And I think for me, I want to overcome these things so my children don't have to worry about them, so they can, I've overcome it, they've watched me overcome it, and they don't have to carry that same burden that I've carried. I think it's really common to talk about generational curses, generational sin, these cycles that we can see. We look at families, and we see how that's been passed down from one family to the next, to their kids and their kids, and we can kind of see that. Maybe it's alcohol abuse, anger, financial issues, whatever it is, and I think we can also look inwardly. You probably already know what has been passed down from your families. There's just been maybe just characteristics that you've seen that your parents had that they've passed down to you or just something that is negatively impacting you, that it's impacted your childhood. Are you going to allow that to keep passing on to the next family? For me, my family growing up was not very open. Um, we did not talk about our feelings. I honestly can't even remember a time when I was asked how my day was at school or what was going on with me. Um, all of our physical needs were met. It was a good home, but there was not a lot of emotional needs that were met. Um, and not, not of a lot of emotions at all. Um, if you know me, um, I'm not a hugger. I'm not touchy-feely. Um, I may seem closed off. I promise that I'm not. I just seem that way because that's how I was raised. That's what I'm used to. But I can begin to kind of look back at my grandparents, even the little bit I remember my great-grandparents, and that's just kind of how the family was. So I could put blame on my parents, but they didn't know any better. That's just how they were raised, and that's probably how the generation before that was raised. But now I have a choice I have to make. Do I want that same pattern for my life? Do I want to live like this? Do I want to pass the same trait onto my children? Obviously, the answer is no. I want them to fully experience, to be able to share how they feel, share their emotions, not to, you know, step away from a hug. I don't, I don't want to pass that on. But it's hard work to get through that. It's hard work that I have to choose to do to get through this. Um, if anybody knows me and Ben, um, you know Ben is the one with the, that likes to talk about his feelings in our marriage. Um, you've probably seen him cry more than you've seen me cry. Um, you know, it just, it is what it is. But um, it's hard work anytime he's wanting us, <laughs> anytime um, he wants to talk about a situation going on, anytime um, there's a moment to share our feelings. Um, and I, only a certain people of group, this will make sense too. Um, but he'll ask me how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking about this. And it's so ingrained in me to just kind of go through the motions. Here's what needs to be done. Here's the facts that I don't even... I don't have the emotions to talk about it. It's not that I don't want to share how I feel. It's not that I don't want to talk about how I feel. I honestly don't even know how I feel because it's so ingrained in me just to get through it, go through the motions, not to get deep and think about it. But if I want to see something different in our lives, if I want to see something different for my children, I have to begin to do that hard work and dig a little bit deeper and get past that surface level. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it, um, but it's something that I need to do. And, or I will pass the same issue on to my kids. 
I want to be able to teach them and just show them how to share their emotions properly. And the reason I picked emotions to talk about, because obviously how much I feel or how much I share, that's not really a sin. Um, but it's a negative characteristic that has been passed down throughout my generational lines. And I have the choice, am I going to make a difference? Am I going to do something different? Am I going to get out of that cycle? Or am I going to keep in that same exact cycle? And I love emo- talking about emotions because God created emotions. If he didn't want us to have feelings, if he didn't want us um, to experience emotions, he wouldn't have created them. But we have to learn to use them in the right context. Um, anger, for example, I think it oftentimes gets a bad label because, you know, anger can lead to lots of things that are wrong. But all, throughout the Bible, we can see God using anger in the correct way. An example for us, you know, we're the student pastors. So when I begin to see what society has been teaching our children, the lies about their identity, about what is right and what is wrong, that makes me pretty angry. I get very frustrated with culture around us. But what we get to do is we get, on Wednesday nights, we get to teach these teens about their true God-given identity. And that is how I'm using that anger in a good way. I'm pushing past that. I'm breaking those chains and hopefully leading them in a better way. We have to begin to search those things out. Emotions can be good. Anger can be good. Everything can be good in the right context. We just have to discover what that context is, discover how God wants to use us. And that's basically just my heart for you guys today. I want you guys to begin to see that we're doing something so much bigger than ourselves. Yes, there's things in our life that I want to overcome to make my life better. But more than that, I want to overcome these things for my children, for the next generation, for those around me, so I can begin to see and show them that there's so much, something so much bigger than just living a life for yourselves. The choices that you're making now are going to affect the next generation. Whether you have kids or at home or not, the choices you're making, the lifestyle you're living is affecting the next generation. I have this parable. I think I stole it from Pastor Kelly. I'm not really sure. Um, I heard it somewhere and then... I couldn't really remember it all, so I've just modified it to what I remember. So if you think you heard it, you may have. I don't know. Um, But the story is there were two brothers, um, and this one brother, he had vowed to never let alcohol enter into his system. He did not want to be around alcohol. He um, just had seen the negative effects of it. He just did not want anything to do with it. When you asked him why, he said that his parents were alcoholics. He saw the brokenness, the hurt, the chaos that it caused, and he just he did not want that for him and his future family. And then the other brother, he was an alcoholic. And he said that was because that was all that he ever known. His parents abused alcohol, so he was just destined to follow in their footsteps. This is my second point. We cannot choose the circumstances we face, but we can choose our response. We cannot choose what happens to us. We cannot choose what is presented to us, how, what happens in life. But we all get a response. We all get to decide how that is going to affect our life. Both of the men in this example, they had the same childhood. They experienced the same thing, the same trauma. One brother chose to break out of that cycle, to break that generational sin, and live a life that was better. But the other brother chose to be a victim to his circumstances. He said, you know, this is just how I'm supposed to be. And he didn't choose to do the hard thing. We're all given that same opportunity. What you fight to overcome in your lifetime, what you fight to break through, what mold you fight to get out of, that is all up to you. We're all given that same opportunity, though. And I think a lot of us kind of settle. We, we begin to do one thing, and then we think we're doing pretty good. 
Um, maybe just the example of coming to church. Maybe growing up, your family did not go to church. You've never really been involved in church. So coming to church on Sunday, hey, I'm doing great. I'm good to go. You know, I got this down. And if you've never been involved in church, if that is your first step, that is a great first step. I'm so glad you're here. Um, and that's, that's amazing. But God has so much more for you beyond just coming to church on Sunday, beyond just coming here on Sunday mornings. What more does God want to do through you? What more does God want you to experience for you and your families? Maybe it's just, what is that hard thing that I keep talking about? I'm sure you all know what hard thing you, you keep pushing to the side that's uncomfortable, that hard thing that you just really don't, you just haven't been ready to do the work yet. Maybe it's overcoming your anger issues. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's self-image. Maybe it's finally going to counseling for that trauma that you know you need to overcome. Whatever it is, I think we, we get in the cycle of saying, well, one day I'll, I'll do that. One day we'll work on that. And we just kind of push it to the side. But how much are you missing out on by pushing that to the side? Because I think there's a whole other side. Once we get through that hard thing, once we get th through that thing that we've labeled as bad, God has so much more for you. God has so much more that he wants you to discover about your identity, about who he created you to be, your purpose. But we have to begin to do those hard things. We have to begin to do the hard work to see the promised land, to see the good things. We have no control over how we are raised, over what has happened to us. You have no control from this moment back. Our past, whatever's in the past is in the past. We can't change any of that. But we can begin to make changes right now in our lives that will affect us. It will affect your future, your family's future, their family's future. You can begin to make choices right now today that is going to leave a la lasting impact. It's going to leave a legacy of who you were, what you chose to overcome. I think it's really easy to kind of get like we're just living in the mundane. We're going through the motions, just trying to get to Friday, trying to get to this next event. We're just trying to get through. And even in those moments where we're just trying to get through, we have established some daily rhythms. You've established some habits, some things that you do, some things that you go through. Whether they're good or bad, you've established those, and they are affecting your family. You may want to think that they're not, but every choice that you make, whether they're good or bad, is having a lasting, impact, a, a lasting effect on you and your family. Um, if we keep reading in the verse, I'm going to jump to chapter 2. Um, and before we get to this verse, basically the Bible tells us that Eli's sons um, were wicked. It talks about all their evil works. Um, basically, they disrespected God. They didn't honor the sacrifices. Um, and they just didn't really have a reverence for God and who he was. Um, so a prophet came to him and says, 1 Samuel 2, and this is verse 27. It says, one day a man of God came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord. I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest as he served me. And I think this is just kind of reminding Eli, it's reminding us, the reader, about all the things that before Eli, all the things that his forefathers have done. And obviously Eli was a powerful man of God. He prayed for a woman and she began, she had a child. So obviously he was a man of God. He had power. And I think a lot of that initially came from, he kind of got a jump start because of all the work that his forefathers did. They had left a legacy for him. They were faithful to God. They were dedicated. They were, they did the work. So Eli kind of just walked right into that. 
But unfortunately, <coughs> excuse me, if you, if you continue in this, God actually begins to tell Eli, because of his son's choices, that their family was going to be cursed. It said none of the men would live to a long age. Um, Eli was a great man of God, but he allowed this behavior with his sons, and I really don't even like saying the word aloud, because he kind of just ignored it, didn't correct it. It shows us one instance in the Bible where he kind of says something to his sons, but he doesn't enforce anything. He doesn't really do much. In the Bible, um, the man actually said that God had said that you honor your sons more than me. So Eli had kind of got his priorities out of whack just a little bit. Um, but because he had this blind spot in his family, because he had this blind spot that he ignored, it affected his and his family's future. And I think a lot of times we have these spots in our lives that we just kind of want to push to the side. We want to ignore it. And that's my third point, if Bubba wants to go ahead and come up. Um, without correction, we will never learn to walk in our God-given identity. Without correction, we will never learn to walk in our God-given identity. I think a lot of times we don't want to be confrontational, whether it's with your kids or just someone that you're close with. Um, we don't want to make any waves. We want it to be nice and easy. We just kind of want to get through. But by not correcting them, you're still making a choice. By not disciplining, by not showing them the right way, we're making a choice and we're allowing this behavior. It would be so much easier to just never correct your children. It'd be so much easier if God never corrected us. I do not like to be corrected. I'm sure no one in here wants to be corrected. But we will never learn to walk in our God-given identity if we don't get corrected, if we don't get put back on the right path. Because if I'm doing something wrong, I'm going the wrong way. So unless I'm corrected, unless I'm pushed in the right direction, I'm going to be missing out on all that God has for me. It would be so much easier just to not have correction, but correction can be good. Eli's sons came from a great legacy. We just read about that, that they were so powerful. That, and I think his sons could have been so powerful for the kingdom. I think they had so much for their forefathers, from Eli, from all the stuff they had been around. They could have left a great legacy for themselves. But their choices, their lack of correction, it forced a different path for them. And I think we get so concerned with pleasing people that we don't push them. We get so concerned with just making, getting through. We get so concerned with just kind of being here that we don't want to push people. And the truth is, if I'm not pushed, I'm going to stay comfortable. And when I stay comfortable, I'm not going to get out of my little bubble, and I'm going to miss out on all the good things that God has for me. There's a whole land of undiscovered territory of maybe my identity, my purpose, but unless I get uncomfortable, I will never discover that. Unless you guys are willing to get uncomfortable in your lives, you are going to miss out on the calling that God has for you. It takes work. It takes the hard work to get uncomfortable to push it out. I was, the 9 a.m. service, we had Larry and Deanna. Um, I don't know if you guys have got to meet them, but they're some of our leaders in 412. Um, and they're the example of this. They, all their kids are older. They're grown. Um, yet they still serve. They still are choosing to do the hard work, to do the things. We went, we took our youth tubing yesterday. Um, and then poor Larry was back in the back helping. We had just two boys. They kept getting stuck in the twigs, kept struggling. And then Larry was out there doing the hard work. And I'm sure that part was uncomfortable. That wasn't fun for him. But because of his willingness to make these sacrifices, his, their willingness to get uncomfortable as leaders, as Christians, 
they are discovering a whole new thing. They are being used by God in a whole new way. And I think unless we're willing to get uncomfortable, unless we're willing to make those sacrifices that we want to make when we're desperate, we have to be willing to make those at all times to truly discover the calling, the purpose that God has for you and your family. The best is yet to come. Your best self, your, the best joy, the best peace, that is to come. But sometimes we've got to go through some work. We've got to work through these things to overcome and to get to those things. But here's the promise. Here's the good part. This is 1 Samuel 2.35, and they are now talking about Samuel. It says, Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family, and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. And this is where I'm going to end today. The choices that we are making is going to not just impact you. It's not just impacting yourself. It's impacting your family and the next generation. See, this promise was given for Samuel because Hannah kept her promise to God, because she was willing to do the hard work, she was willing to dedicate her son to God, Samuel was now going to get to experience all these great things because of her sacrifice. And then because of Samuel's hard work, because of his dedication, he was going to become a faithful priest who would serve God. And then his family was going to get to follow in that, creating that legacy. We are creating a legacy. We are making choices. Whether we want to see that or not, we are. Whether it's good or bad, we are making choice, choices. We are taking steps for our family. So what kind of steps are you taking for your family's gener- for their legacy, for this generation? What steps are you taking for their future? Moses paved the way for Joshua. If we read about Moses, it talked about how he went to Pharaoh to help the Israelites get free. He told Pharaoh of all the plagues that were going to come. And then finally, Pharaoh let them go. And then they get to the Red Sea, and then Moses was with them, and he led them through the Red Sea. And then they spent some time in the wilderness. Um, but then Joshua took over and kind of became the leader. And then Joshua was able to lead them into the promised land. But here's the thing. Joshua would have never been in a place to lead them to the promised land if Moses wouldn't have done all that he did. If Moses wouldn't have went to Pharaoh, if Moses wouldn't have been at the Red Sea, Joshua would never have been positioned to get where he needed to go. You see, I would love to walk in the promised land for myself. But more importantly, I want my kids to be able to walk in that promised land. I'm willing to walk through any wilderness so my kids don't have to go through that wilderness. I'm willing to do whatever hard work, take whatever step I need to take to propel my children into their future, into their destiny. And I think some of that includes the uncomfortable things. It includes disciplining them, showing them right or wrong, getting them involved in church, serving. But even more than that, It's growing yourself. It's bettering myself so my children can begin to see the right way. And my favorite thing about this example with Joshua and Moses is Joshua was not Moses' son. Um, Moses mentored Joshua. So don't write yourself off if you're not a parent or if your kids are grown. Don't think that your time is up or it's not the time. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, we are called a disciple. We're called to build up the next generation. So if you are not doing that, if you don't have children, I encourage you to find somewhere to begin pouring into others, begin showing them the gospel, the truth, how to live. So if you guys want to go ahead and stand. Why not you? Why not you be the one 
who breaks off that generational cycle, who begins to change your family's future. Why not you be the one who steps out and truly discovers your God-given identity? Because I think if we're honest, we're all not fully walking in our calling. We all have areas where we can keep getting pushed. We can keep growing to discover more things about God in our lives. So why not you? Are you going to be the one who leaves a lasting impact on this next generation? Are you going to leave a lasting impact on your children? What are you going to change in your life that's going to impact your family's future? So I'm going to pray. Well, I'm actually going to have the prayer team come up, if you guys don't mind. Um, And I just want to encourage you guys, if that's you, if you are just ready to step out, to get out of the mold, to begin to just change some things that's going to affect your family. If you're ready to just step out um, and do that, we're going to go into a song, and then I encourage you to just find someone to come up and pray 